The reading this morning comes from Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be reading from verse 17. It can be found on page 1150, the Bible's in front of you. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. For if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be fully condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Well, good morning, guys. I hope that you're doing well. Uh, my name's Dave, if I haven't met you before, and it is uh, my privilege to be speaking this morning. Now, if you were listening to that reading beforehand, you might be thinking, what on earth is going on? I mean, people are overeating, getting drunk. Some people seem to be even getting sick and dying because of the chaos. What is going on? Well, that is a good question, and we're going to go on a journey of discovery together to kind of figure out what's going on. But I think we're going to need to pray before we get going, so why don't we do just that? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for it. And Father, we just simply come before you this morning and ask you to refresh our souls. For we are in great need of refreshing. Amen. Amen. 
Well, my son Josh, who's now four years old, uh, when he was about two, he had his first swimming lesson, and unfortunately, it really didn't go well. Like, I, I don't know what was going on. The teacher may have been new. I, I don't know, but he got in there first lesson, and they dunked him, and he sort of had a, lungs filled with water and came up spluttering and basically screamed his head off. He freaked out. And after that, he became quite afraid of the water and just wouldn't go anywhere near it without screaming. So we thought, look, let's take a break from the swimming lessons and give it a go in about a year. So we did just that. One year passed and we went back to the pool and he was still pretty nervous. I mean, so I did what all good parents do and I bribed him. I, I, I said, look, mate, I'll, I'll give you a treat, a reward, if you get into the pool and do what the teacher says. And th- he did and thankfully first swimming lesson went well. So we happily went to the bakery to get a treat. Now he chose from an array, when I was growing up you could just get like a chocolate cupcake, now there's 700 different types of chocolate cupcakes, so he chose from an array of cupcakes and uh, he picked and munched down at a cupcake and since then, after every swimming lesson, we've gone to get a cupcake after his swimming lesson. So now his little sister Bella has been growing up, she's now two, and so we've started to bring her to the bakery as well. Now, she's been sitting there watching her older brother chomp down on this delicious cupcake, and she doesn't have one. So, of course, as she's you know, begun to speak, and she's asked for a cupcake as well. Fair enough, right? She's gone, oh, I want a cupcake too. And she, now, she hasn't had a swimming lesson, right? But we just feel it must be rough watching your older brother eat a delicious cupcake in front of you. So, we've given her one as well. Now, you can see our little tradition is starting to become a little watered down. Problem is as well that this bakery, it's at the mall, Warringah Mall, and we're there all the time. And so we walk past this bakery all the time. And most times we do now, both my kids look at the cupcakes displayed in the window at their height. They know what they're doing, perfectly displayed. And they just go, cupcake daddy, can we have a cupcake? And I try and reason with them, which is my first mistake, and um, just say, oh look guys, you you haven't had a swimming lesson you don't really deserve a reward right now. In fact, you probably deserve the opposite. But uh, because I'm a terrible parent and I don't want any of you witnessing a tantrum at the mall with me and my kids, I just give in and get them a cupcake. Now, I don't want you thinking that our kids have cupcakes three times a day or anything, um, but you can see how this little tradition of ours has become watered down. The whole reason in the first place we're getting cupcakes is because of Josh and his swimming lesson, you know, being good as a reward for his swimming lesson. But now it's really just totally lost its original meaning. And I think, I wonder if it can be the same when it comes to something like communion. It's something the church has been doing in different ways for hundreds of years. But if we aren't careful, it's possible we can just kind of go through the motions and forget why we do it. I mean, that's what was happening in the Corinthian church Now, we've just heard in the Bible reading Susan read for us that Paul, he's pretty disappointed with the Corinthians, aren't they, and how they're treating each other in communion. And that can happen to us too. We we can lose its meaning. Now, we need to be reminded from this text what communion is. So that's the question we're really looking at this morning is simple. What is communion? And we're going to try and answer that question by looking at four things the passage presents to us. Okay, so in trying to understand what communion is, we need to look back, look in, look around, and look forward. Okay, so look back, look in, look around, look forward. Sound good? 
Yes? Okay, good. Got a nod. Thanks, Rob. Now, I usually only have about two points for my sermons, but don't worry. Each point should take about 25 minutes each. So we should be okay. Thanks for laughing. All right. That's a joke. I'll get you out of here before lunch. Don't worry. Um, Let's get going with our first point, yeah? All right. In understanding what communion is, we need to look back. Now, at the beginning of this passage, at the start, Paul, he just rips into the Corinthians for how they're treating each other when it comes to communion. And we're going to unpack that section, that first bit, in a little bit. But after he tears into them, Paul points them to what communion is all about. Let's have a look at verse 23. Let's read together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. See, Paul, the person who wrote this letter, he points the Corinthian church to Jesus and the Last Supper because looking back informs their present. See, the past connects them to what they're doing right now. Now, People who suffer from amnesia say that it can be an incredibly difficult experience when you don't know anything about your past. And because you don't know much about your past, you find it very difficult to really determine who you are. I mean, can you imagine waking up from a coma and the strangers around you are telling you that the stranger in front of you is your spouse? Can you imagine how how tough that would be? Without that shared history, that shared past, it must be almost impossible to feel a sense of connection. So much of our history informs kind of who we are and, and how we act in the present day. And it's really the same here. Without looking back into the past, we'll just fail to understand the practice of communion. And I wonder how many of us suffer from communion amnesia. You see, what Paul, Paul is referring to in this passage are Jesus' words at the Last Supper, his last night on earth before he was crucified. See, Jesus was in an upper room celebrating something with his friends, the disciples. He was celebrating the Passover. Now, what's that? Well, the Passover, it's, it's got its origins in Egypt hundreds of years even before this. Now, many of you guys are going to be familiar with the Exodus God's great saving act of the Old Testament. The Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, treated horribly, and they cry out to God and he hears them and he sends Moses to go and rescue the Israelites from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, but he doesn't want to let him go, does he? And so God sends the plagues on the Egyptians and the final and most horrible plague is when God sends the angel of death to kill every firstborn Egyptian son. It's terrible. So to make sure no Israelite firstborn dies, God gives his people a way out. You see, see, he shows grace to his people. God's always been a God of grace. He shows grace to his people by giving them clear instructions to kill a lamb and eat it and paint the blood of that lamb on their doorways. And so when the angel of death comes to bring God's righteous and just judgment on the people, the angel of death will see the blood on the door frames and will pass over that house. So Moses instructed the Israelites that this is a very, very special thing and we should never forget it. So we should celebrate something every year to remember. And that's the Passover. 
So fast forward back to Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, and that's what they're celebrating. Only this time, things are really different. See, Jesus actually changes the Passover forever. So that lamb back in Egypt that they killed instead of a firstborn, and and all the Old Testament sacrifices, they couldn't really take away sin. They couldn't really deal with that. They were a sign, a symbol that that sin is really serious and consequences have to be, you see? See, they were a sign. See, God was storing up his righteous and just judgment until a specific time in history when sin would be dealt with. See, the prophets Isaiah, they all look forward to a time when our sin would be dealt with finally. And Jesus says to his disciples, I am now that lamb. I'm about to take away the sin of not just one family in Egypt, but the sin of the whole world. I'm about to hang on the cross and all the sins of humanity are about to be on my shoulders, you see? So when you eat this bread and drink this wine, two elements that would have been present at any Passover meal, do that in remembrance, not not of Egypt anymore, but what I'm about to do. Do it in remembrance of what I'm about to do. And, and really that's the key to the Christian faith, isn't it? Jesus dying in our place to take away our sin. That's, that's the gospel. So that's why we remember and we celebrate communion. To look back on what Jesus has done for you and for me. Okay, let's move on to our second point. We need to look in. In verse 28, Paul encourages everyone who participates in communion to do something. What is it? Let's have a look. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Now, what does that mean? Now, Paul is saying, because of what Christ has done for us, we need to actually do something. We need to respond appropriately. So our first point was communion's about looking back to Christ's death in our place. So our second point is, that it must affect us. We must actually ask ourselves some tough questions, you know, take a good look at ourselves. We must, if you will, look into a mirror. Here's a picture of the Hubble telescope. It was launched into space in 1990 with a huge amount of fanfare and with a price tag of about two and a half billion dollars. NASA were very excited and they it proclaimed that It would give us the clearest and most amazing pictures of our galaxy humanity had ever seen. They were very excited. Unfortunately, within a few weeks, the Hubble telescope was sending back blurred images. Now, the engineers that had worked on it were absolutely mortified. They were gutted and they worked around the clock to try and figure out what had gone wrong. It turns out that one of the huge mirrors within uh, the telescope that makes it work was, was built, constructed, using the wrong measurements. So a huge mirror, much bigger than me, was a dud. It just it didn't work. Now, they were mortified, and uh, they got pummeled in the media, and the, the Hubble telescope was known as the Trouble Telescope for quite a while. But NASA spent a few billion more and sent astronauts up in space to fix it. So now we do actually have many incredible, amazing photos of our universe. In fact, you can see here the difference from before they fixed uh, the mirror on the left till after they fixed it on the right. Quite a big difference. And here are just some other amazing pictures 
the Hubble telescope has taken. I think God's just showing off in that one, don't you? It's quite amazing in that one. Pretty phenomenal. Now, what does it have to do with anything? Nothing. It's just a great story, don't you reckon? No, it is actually doing something. Right. What does it have to do with anything? If you use the wrong equipment, you'll get the wrong result. Right? If you use the wrong equipment, you'll get the wrong result. You see, Paul asks us to examine ourselves. But what does that even mean? I mean, how do we do that? How, how, you know, against what? How do we examine ourselves? Well, using the gospel. You see, we've got to use God's word and the gospel to search our hearts before we take part in communion. You see, as we prepare ourselves, we do have to ask ourselves some hard questions. But we've got to do it using the gospel. We've got to do it using the gospel as our mirror. You see, some of us might examine ourselves using our own opinions or the opinions of others. And two things might happen. You know, first that you might think, I'm doing great, doing fine. I mean, nothing to fix here, doing well. God should be pretty stoked with me. He should be really happy with having me in his family. Well, if you're feeling that, I, I want to humbly say that I think you're using the wrong equipment and you're getting the wrong result. You see, you've got to use the gospel as your mirror. Maybe you need to remember that you're actually a sinner saved by grace, as we all are. The gospel, it's, it's just a beautiful, complete leveler. See, maybe you need to remember that You need to humble yourself and you need to repent. I mean, sin is serious. Look what Jesus had to do to bring us back to himself. He had to give his life, no small thing. But maybe you're the opposite, you know, on the the other side of the coin. Maybe in examining yourself, using your own opinion or the opinion of others, you might think, I am such a sinner. I'm a stuff up. God must be really sick of forgiving me. I just feel so far away from God right now. If that's you, then you you also have to use the gospel. You've got to look into the gospel mirror. See, you remember, yeah, sin is serious. Jesus did have to die, but he was so willing to do it. I mean, look at what Christ did for you. You see, the gospel, it humbles us when we need to be humbled and lifts us up when we needed to be lifted up, you see? Don't let your sin get in the way of being forgiven. Yeah. See, this is crazy. Saying this feels strange, but it's true. The only people who are worthy of taking part in communion are those who feel that they're unworthy. That's just the, the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. Crazy. Okay, let's uh, move on to our third point. How are we doing? Okay, we're, we're over the halfway point. I can see you're not lagging, most of you. So um, we must look back, look in, and look around. Now let's, let's get our heads in this passage and figure out what look around might mean. Let's look at the first part. Let's read together. From verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Ouch. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, 
For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? (laughs) Certainly not in this matter. Ouch, that's a shellacking, isn't it, right there? What is going on here? I mean, it sounds like a bit of a circus, and Paul's pretty upset. Well, let's just take a look at what is actually happening in that church, in the Corinthian context. You see, communion would have been celebrated um, in the middle of a full meal, right? And their worship service back then, it would have been in someone's home. So it was all together. The worship service in in somebody's home, amidst a full meal, and they were celebrating communion in it. Now, you see... Um, back then, they, they would have celebrated, celebrated on a Sunday like us, but unfortunately for people who had to work, there was no weekend. Get that, no weekend back then. So if you had to work, you had to work seven days a week. So the wealthier members of this church who didn't need to work would have arrived at this house church or someone's home first. And they got there and they sat down and they started tucking into their suppers, right? And the poor guys who'd been working all day after a hard day's work, they arrive. So the wealthier ones come, get stuck into the food, they're not waiting for anybody else, which is pretty rude, isn't it? And the others arrive, the poorer ones arrive, and they see that the main room, it's probably full, right? It's already full, and a party's already going on, sounds like with excess, there's no room for them. So the poorer ones, they feel pretty left out, and they're most probably ushered to an outside courtyard where they start their meal. Because they're poorer, and apparently they had to bring their own food, They got tucked into their meal, but it was far less lavish than what they'd just witnessed in the main room. Now, Paul hears about this, and he is just really upset, isn't he? Understandably, he is ticked off. I mean, he says, are you serious? Do you think what you're doing is communion? You think that's the Lord's Supper? You think what you're doing has anything to do with Jesus, the gospel? You're out of your mind. See, what did Jesus say? I mean, how will they know that you're my disciples? By how you love each other. And yet some people are overeating, getting drunk in one room and just a little ways away, people are going without and going hungry. See, this kind of connects with a wider theme of 1 Corinthians about divisions. There's a lot of divisions in the church and this one seems to be along class distinctions between wealthy and poor. It's a different kind of distinction, but really all divisions have the same roots, don't they? Pride. See, the wealthier Christians, they're just showing disdain for their poorer brothers and sisters. So now this communion meal, what's supposed to be special and different, looks just like any other pagan festival. You know, in the, uh, the days and weeks following Jesus' return uh, to heaven, his ascension, the early church had a reputation. It's quite beautiful. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. They had a reputation of caring for each other. Some of them would sell their possessions and give to others that were in need. Beautiful, isn't it? In the early 1900s in the country of Korea, a massive revival took place. Before this, Christianity was a tiny blip on the radar in that country until God poured out his spirit in really an incredible way. In one particular place, in one city, the whole city was affected. I mean, school stopped and in the factories work stopped because people were becoming converted and just weeping of their sin and repenting to God 
and actually asking for forgiveness from each other. It was quite an amazing thing. People would, were returning stolen property to each other and stolen money. And one Chinese merchant was pretty astounded when a new Christian came up to him and returned a huge sum of money he'd obtained unjustly some years before. Now that story made the papers and the whole city was, you know, thought this is amazing. And everyone thought, who are these people? You see, people should have walked into that house in Corinth and said the exact same thing. They should have seen what's got, what was going on and said, wow, who are these people? I mean, there's young and old, rich, poor, black, white, Jew, Gentile, and they're not fighting. They're in community, loving each other. How can this be? This is weird. And it is weird. Because the gospel actually brings people together. That's what Jesus does. He brings people together. So where people should usually be fighting and there should be separation, Jesus brings healing and unity. And here's a question for us. You know, what do we look like as a church? You know, how, what are we like at looking around? I've been um, so encouraged with how our community has loved and supported Burundi Dave. I hope you have too. P.S. Go buy a CD after the service. Um, I've just been really encouraged. Uh, and, and I know there are other things going on. There are other things going on where the grace of Christ is present. That's certainly not the only thing. But let there be more. You know, let us be known by them. May people walk in here and say the very same thing. Who are these people? What's going on? There are people from different backgrounds, races, nations, political parties, theological differences even. And they're not fighting. They're, they're, they're like family. They're loving each other and serving each other. May people say those things about us. You see, looking around, it's about asking, is a brother or sister of mine in need? And Am I able to do something about that? C- communion's not just an individual experience between you and God, a vertical one. It's also a horizontal experience. It connects the brothers and sisters of Christ together. See, taking communion, it's a time when we celebrate our unity and we show it, actually show it by doing something, by caring for each other. Okay, here's our last point and our shortest one. So you're doing very well. So we must look back, look in, look around, and look forward. So participating in communion links us to our future reality. It links our life story with what is to come. Let's look at one more verse together. Verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, Jesus is coming back. Every time we come forward and participate in communion, we're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that Jesus died in my place and he rose again as I'll be raised and he's coming back. And what's Jesus going to bring when he comes back? The great wedding banquet. See, Jesus will come, he'll wipe away every tear 
He's going to make all things new. And we with him, we're going to participate in the greatest party of all time. It's, it's pretty cool. Think about that. We're going to experience the great wedding supper, the great wedding banquet together with Christ. So this meal of communion, this meal of remembrance, it's the entree of that wedding banquet. It's the hors d'oeuvres of our future reality. Because we don't just live for the here and now, do we? How hard is that sometimes? You see, this act of communion, it's a physical way of proclaiming what Christ has done for us and reminding each other that right here and now is not all there is. We've got a future and it's with Jesus. See, we have a future where all our deepest longings will be fulfilled. No more striving, no more sickness, suffering or death. See, we'll enjoy the victory of Christ in its fullness. God has created this symbol of communion to be a very real, physical, kind of a a kinesthetic way of embracing us in his love and truth. A physical way we can remember God's incredible promise of forgiveness, grace, and future blessing. So what is communion? It's a time when we look back on what Christ has done for us. We look in and examine ourselves in the light of the gospel. We look around, being aware of our brothers and sisters in need. And we look forward to the future, to our future with Christ in the new creation. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to experience and participate in communion together. So what we're going to do, I'm going to pray a short prayer and then give you guys a a minute or so to connect with God, to speak with him. Then we're going to say a prayer of confession together and I'm going to invite you up to participate in the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is powerful And you promise that when it's preached, when it goes out, it won't return without doing something. Continue to minister to us, Lord. Continue to refresh us by this meal of remembrance we're about to experience. We thank you for this community, this body of believers. God, I pray that we would be open to outsiders. We would care for our own needs the needs of people in this congregation and people outside of it as well. And we'd be a great light, a city on a hill. Thank you for this communion time together. Amen. I'll give you guys a minute or so to speak with God.